0: So today is the first week of Advent. While the secular world begins the new year on January 1st, the church begins the year today. The church calendar, which walks us through the life of Jesus, from his incarnation through to his death, resurrection and ascension, begins with the season of Advent. In some ways, Advent can seem like a strange way to start the year, right? The world's been celebrating a consumerized, non-religious version of Christmas for weeks and weeks, right? I went to Walgreens in October, there were nutcrackers out their Christmas tree right in October. Halloween hasn't even come, right? But the church calendar calls us to wait. Don't deck the halls just yet. Don't sing glory to God in the highest. Don't whisk yourself away to a manger. Wait. The time is soon, it's almost here, but it's not yet. For some of us, Advent might, might seem like a new thing, and you might be wondering, what are, we, what are we talking about when we talk about the Advent of Christ? So that word Advent just means arrival. So when we talk about Advent, we're talking about the arrival of Christ. And the terms Christ and Messiah just come from Greek and Hebrew words, Christos and Mashiach, which just mean anointed one, right? So in the Old Testament, priests and kings were anointed with oil, often by a prophet, to signify that they had been sealed by God for that office. And over time, that term, anointed, came to reference specifically the son of David who would reign on his throne forever and ever. So in Advent, in the four weeks of Advent, we reflect on these two periods of waiting. We reflect on the Israelites who are awaiting the birth of the Christ, and we reflect on our own wait for the return of Christ. When we look at the first Advent, when the son of God came in human flesh, entered into our world we see that the Jews had certain expectations, right? The Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes knew the scripture as well. They remember that Moses had promised that there would be another leader that would be like him. They remember that David was promised that he would have a son and that his son would reign on his throne forever. And they remember the promises that the Messiah would rule over all the nations. And then Jesus came and Jesus interpreted the law of Moses with authority and he was fine with people calling him the son of David, but he also insisted that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Jewish religious leaders were right to be confused by Jesus. The Old Testament was filled with numerous prophecies and promises regarding what the Christ would bring. But some of these uh, prophecies seem contradictory at face value. Isaiah predicted, for example, that the Messiah would come and that he would tread the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty. But Isaiah also promised the Messiah would be crushed for our iniquities. The prophet Daniel promised the Son of Man would receive a kingdom and authority and that he would rule forever and ever. But Daniel also promised that the Messiah would be cut off but not for himself. The Jewish religious leaders had misunderstood the promises of a Christ who would suffer for the sins of the people, and instead longed for a Messiah, for an anointed king, who would deal with their enemies, who would deal with the political and military concerns that they had. Rome was ruling the world, and the Jewish leaders were looking for someone who would deal with Rome, right? They were looking for somebody that would kick Rome out, that would establish the kingdom, restore the kingdom to Israel, and set things right. They wanted wanted God to deal with their enemies. They wanted God to punish the people who had enslaved them. When Jesus arrived, forgiving sins and not explicitly opposing Rome, it was easy for the Jewish leaders to write him off, right? This isn't the guy we're looking for. They were asking tough questions that didn't have appealing answers. How can the Christ both be crushed for our iniquities and judge the nations? How can the Christ rule forever and ever if he's killed? But the New Testament tells us that Jesus came first to deliver us from our sins, and that he will come again to judge the earth and rule the nations. Though this first advent where Christ would come to deal with our sins was a surprise to the Jews, the prophets had predicted exactly that. Jesus' first advent, his first arrival, was to suffer and die for our sins and be raised back to life to restore our relationship with the Father. Right now, the gospel is being proclaimed to the ends of the earth, and anyone who repents of their sins and uh, and turns to Christ will be reconciled with the Father. When Jesus returns, however, he does not come to bring mercy and grace to the nations. Jesus will return to wage war against the nations who have persecuted his people and rejected his gospel. Jesus will come in power and glory to establish his kingdom, and he will rule forever and ever. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Right now, Jesus is asking us to bend the knee. When he returns, he won't be asking. In this morning's Old Testament reading, we have a passage from the prophet Zechariah. Wherein he depicts the return of Christ in glory to wage war against the nations. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Zechariah chapter 14. I'm going to read these first two verses again. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. I think it's important when when we read passages like this that we don't just gloss over the details and go, that sounds really bad. Let me move on to something else, right? but instead to enter into that. So what would it look like if there was an army that came and surrounded the city of Right. The army invades and takes over. People that you know have died. Soldiers come into your house, they take your things out, and they start dividing them right in front of you. You take this, you take this. Half of the city goes out into exile. Half of them go out probably into forced labor camps. Your wife or your daughter is taken by one of these soldiers. Dark, dark, dark times all hope seems to be lost you're left with asking what what else you can do and it's in that moment of darkness that Zechariah breaks in with verse three he says then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to us all. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. When all seems lost, when all hope seems to have faded, when it looks like the night will consume the day, the Lord himself appears and fights against those nations. In great power and in the glory of his Father, the Son of God will appear like a thief in the night to those who are performing acts of darkness in order to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Those who plundered, persecuted, assaulted, raped, and murdered the saints of God will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction when Jesus returns with his hosts of angels. Those who pierced him will mourn with tears as the day of judgment and vengeance finally comes that feels really uncomfortable, right? (laughs) Not fun to read that, right? And when we feel that discomfort, we need to remember something really important. Just as mercy is good, justice is good also. Our God is both merciful and he is just. And the best part is, it's God that's executing the justice, right? The one who is executing justice isn't a... uh, judge who's been pushed through by the political party you don't like, the one who's executing justice, doesn't have an axe to grind, he doesn't show favoritism, the one who is executing justice, who's judging the living and the dead, is Jesus Christ, who loved humanity enough to give himself up for it. He also loves humanity enough to rid the world of evil, to rid it of inequality, to rid it of injustice. When we talk about the second coming of Jesus, it's important that we remember that it has tremendous impact on us here and now. This isn't simply a promise of, of, of a future event, but this is something that should shake us to our core and adjust the way that we live today. The first way that, that the return of Jesus to battle against the enemies of God should adjust our expectations and adjust the way that we live is that we need to remember that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Sometimes our neighbors injure us and hurt us. And we feel a deep need to validate our hurt and our pain by seeking vengeance. Paul warned us about doing this, though, when he wrote to the church in Rome. He wrote, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good." We have been called in this period between the two advents of Christ to extend mercy to others just as God has extended mercy to us. And This matters not just from a, from a level of, okay, well, the scriptures say this, so I should do this. This matters from a deep ontological level, from from our being, from what we are, right? We might think, okay, well this person wronged me, and so I don't wanna go too far, right? I just wanna get my vengeance, right? I just wanna do exactly what they did to me back, right? And we'll be able to perfectly do that, of course, right? No, no, we can't perfectly do that. We'll always try and overextend ourselves, right? Only God can see the heart, and that's why only God can judge perfectly. More than this, though, God wants to make us like himself. God wants us to extend mercy like he extends mercy to us so that we can grow in our thankfulness to him. Rather than imperfectly getting vengeance, we are called to be a people who wait for the Lord, who will judge and repay completely and perfectly. The second way that the advent of Christ should impact us now is that we can be assured that God sees and knows our pain and our hurts. Many of us have been deeply wounded by other people. Some of us have been defrauded or falsely accused. Some of us have been sexually assaulted. Some of us have been beaten. And as survivors of these hurts, we can turn inwardly bitter and long for vengeance. We might wanna lash out at the people who did those things to us. We might wanna hurt ourselves. And that's why it is so, so important that we remember that Christ was crushed for our iniquities That in his wounds we are healed. That there is true and real healing in God's Christ. Not only does God see and know our pain, but his son became a human being, took on flesh, and lived a life just like ours. He was like us, the author of Hebrews tells us, in every way, sin accepted. Jesus knows our needs, he knows our hurts. When Jesus returns, he will render justice for all of our hurts and our pains. Jesus, who is fully human and fully divine, is able to perfectly represent we who have been hurt, and he's able to perfectly distribute divine justice that is perfect and complete, that doesn't go too far, that sets things right. Where our justice systems fail, and even our own desires to try and set things right fail, Jesus alone can set things right. We can trust that Jesus will be faithful to fight for us. Finally, the return of Christ ought to compel us to preach the gospel to a world that is dying in sin. I often like to tell people that God is far more merciful than we're comfortable with, and God is far more just than we're comfortable with. Right? So we'd, we'd like for God to be merciful to all of our friends and family and be just to all the people that hurt us, right? But that's not how God works, right? God doesn't show favoritism. Absolutely no one is outside of the reach of God's mercy. God will save the murderer, the adulterer, the rapist, the slanderer, the liar, the thief, the glutton, the hypocrite, and anyone else who is willing to humble themselves before Him and trust in His Son. At the same time, absolutely no one is outside of the reach of God's vengeance. God will punish the murderer, the adulterer, the rapist, the slanderer, the liar, the gossiper, the hypocrite, and anyone else who refuses to humble themselves and accept the gospel of his son. God has called us to be ministers of reconciliation. He is sending each of us out into the world to share the good news of Jesus. God takes no pleasure, we need to remember this, God takes no pleasure in the death of a wicked, but desires rather that he would turn from his wickedness and live. We, the people of God who have received grace and mercy, need to extend that grace and mercy out today. Now is the day of salvation. We know that Jesus is going to execute justice, so we go and we share the good news. In view of the return of Christ, be bold and share the good news with your people of peace. The people in your life who don't know Jesus, who without you sharing the gospel will receive vengeance instead of mercy. Go, share the good news. Tell them that they can be reconciled with God because of the grace of our Lord Jesus. God, place them in your lives so that you can share the good news with them. The Lord will come like a thief in the night for those who are living in darkness, so call them into the light. The prophet Zechariah promises us that a day is coming when the Lord will be king over all the earth. The Son of God, Jesus, will return and fight for his people. May we be a people who wait on the Lord to avenge, who trust that the Lord truly shares in our pain, and who in the light of Jesus' glorious return proclaim the good news that God in Christ will set all things right. Amen.